This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We'll read some verses from 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. This is our twelfth Back to Basics lecture. So far we have covered the meaning of life, our origins, the identity of Jesus, the Trinity, the trustworthiness of the Bible, the cross, the resurrection, sin, God's justice, the goodness of God, and the forgiveness of sins. And this evening the subject is salvation. I'll begin with a definition of salvation. Salvation is God's powerful and gracious work by which he delivers or rescues a helpless, guilty sinner from the greatest possible misery, namely eternal death, preserves him and brings him into the greatest possible blessedness, namely eternal life. And so we see from this definition that salvation is rescue or deliverance from misery. And the misery from which salvation rescues or delivers is the greatest possible misery. And the greatest possible misery is not what the world thinks, it's not poverty. God does not rescue or deliver us from poverty. It's not sickness. God does not rescue or deliver us from sickness. It's not social disadvantage. God does not deliver or rescue us from social disadvantage. It's not even death. In a certain sense, God does not even in salvation deliver us from death. But rather, the greatest possible misery is sin and all the consequences of sin. And that, therefore, salvation from sin must be the focus 
and the message of every faithful church. And a church which abandons that message of salvation from sin and instead proclaims salvation from something else and instead seeks to eradicate poverty, sickness, or social disadvantage from the world, such a church is not a faithful church and does not preach the gospel which Christ calls the church to preach. Sin is the greatest possible misery. And Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying. It's faithful, it's trustworthy, and it's worthy of all acceptation. All men everywhere ought to accept this saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And in previous lectures, we saw what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is the refusal to live one's life to the glory of God. Sin is the corruption of one's entire nature. Sin is total depravity. Sin is spiritual slavery or bondage. And sin is the greatest possible misery from which we need salvation because of what sin does. Sin makes us guilty before God. And because we are guilty before God, we are exposed to the wrath of God. Sin makes us worthy of punishment. Sin makes us worthy of all the miseries of this life, worthy of death, and worthy of everlasting punishment after this life in hell. And so sinners who are not saved are exposed to the everlasting punishment of God in body and soul. And the question is, do you not urgently seek to be delivered from that misery. Second, sin makes us polluted, unclean, and defiled before God. Sin corrupts our body and soul. Sin defiles our words and our thoughts and our deeds. Sin corrupts our mind and our heart and our will so that we are completely or totally depraved, unable to do anything good and inclined to all evil. And therefore sin is our shame. We're unclean. From the head to the toe, we are repulsive, spiritually repulsive. And again, the urgent question comes to us, do we seek deliverance from that misery? Not only from guilt, but also from the pollution of sin. Third, sin is an enslaving power. 
Sin is like chains by which we are bound hand and foot so that we cannot do anything good and so that we are only able to serve sin as our master. And this is not an external slavery which comes upon us from the outside and forces us to serve it. Rather, it's an internal slavery because this slavery has taken hold of our hearts and our minds and our wills so that we willingly serve sin. Even though we know that serving sin leads to destruction and death. And Christ said in John 8, 34, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And again we ask, do we urgently desire to be delivered from that misery, from the guilt of sin, from the pollution of sin, and from the bondage of sin? And the answer to that question is actually no. By nature, we do not and we cannot seek and desire deliverance from the misery of sin. Because of sin's power over us and because of sin's power in us, we do not seek deliverance from misery. We need deliverance, but we do not desire it because we enjoy sin. We love sin. We detest God with all our heart and we love sin. We do not enjoy the bitter fruits of sin, those things that make our life unpleasant because of sin. We do not enjoy death. We do not want to die or to perish in hell. But at the same time, we do not want to be holy. And we do not want to live without sin. And we do not want to live in fellowship with God. And by nature, if deliverance were possible in sin, with sin, we would gladly welcome that. And if we could go to heaven with our sins, we would want that. And that's why, of course, when you preach the gospel of salvation, which is from sin, when you say to the sinner, God brings salvation from sin. He delivers people from their sins. They don't want that. They don't want to be delivered from their sins. They want to keep their sins and go to heaven. And that's why it's impossible, impossible for man to be saved apart from the almighty power of God. And when we understand this misery of sin, we understand what salvation is and what salvation must be and the kind of salvation that we need. Salvation is deliverance. As I said, the word save means to deliver or to rescue. Salvation is deliverance or rescue from sin, from the guilt of sin. And therefore, salvation includes the forgiveness of sins or justification. 
Salvation is deliverance or rescue from the pollution of sin. And therefore, it includes cleansing, purification, or sanctification. Salvation is deliverance from the power of sin. And therefore, it includes freedom, emancipation, or redemption. And salvation includes even deliverance from the presence of sin. And therefore, it ends in glorification and eternal life. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Underline that word, sinners. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Paul makes that concrete in verse 13. He says, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was a blasphemer, which means he spoke wickedly against God and against God's Son. Paul's blasphemy was his denial that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul's blasphemy was his insistence that Jesus was a deceiver and a false prophet. Paul was a persecutor, which means that he hunted down the followers of Jesus, the Christians, in order to destroy them. He arrested them, he imprisoned them, he even put them to death. The blood of Christians was on Paul's hands. Paul was injurious. And that word means, in the Greek, it means someone lifted up in pride and arrogance against God. Paul did it, he said, in unbelief. Paul, therefore, was an unbeliever. He was a blaspheming, persecuting, injurious, proud, arrogant, unbeliever, who refused to believe in Jesus Christ. And perhaps none of us here this evening can describe ourselves in quite the same way. We haven't sinned in quite the same manner in which Paul did, but we too, and all men, are sinners in need of salvation. And Paul then says about himself, I am the pattern. I am the pattern for the salvation of sinners. If God could save such a wicked sinner as Paul, then God can, if he will, save any sinner. No matter how wicked or depraved or debased that sinner might be. Here's Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 16. Howbeit, 
For this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We looked first of all at the idea of sinners. And now we underline the word save. Why did Jesus come into this world? He came on a rescue mission to save sinners. He did not come to make sinners savable. He did not come to make it possible for sinners to save themselves or for sinners to be saved if they fulfill the necessary conditions. He did not come to make salvation available for everyone. He did not come for any other reason but this, to save sinners to the glory of God. And that places salvation in the hands of God. Salvation is not the work of man. Salvation is not a cooperative work between man and God, perhaps man doing a small part and God doing most of it, but salvation is only and entirely the work of God. And because it is the work of God, it is the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. No one else came into the world to save sinners. No one else could save sinners. No philosopher came with a theory of salvation to save sinners. No religious leader came into the world to save sinners. No scientist or engineer came to save sinners. No politician came to save sinners. And all the experts in all the world, with all of their human learning and knowledge, all of them put together would not be able to save sinners. Only Jesus Christ, who comes on behalf of the triune God, can and does save sinners. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 1, Paul speaks of, quote, God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. In Acts 4.12, Peter preaches about Jesus, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so salvation is the work of God. It is the work of the three persons of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity together accomplish the salvation of sinners. The Father decrees salvation for his people whom he has chosen. The Son purchases that salvation for his people on the cross, and the Holy Spirit then works and applies that salvation in his people. Which means, of course, that there's no possibility of sinners saving themselves. And this is what makes Christianity unique among religions. 
Every other religion, every religion invented by man involves self-salvation. In every other religion, except the true religion as revealed in the scriptures, in every other one, man must seek after God. He must do something in order to please God. He must appease God by some sacrifice or by some work. But in Christianity, God comes in the person of his Son to seek, to find, and to save sinners. Without man's help, without man's contribution, God himself saves sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, says Paul. Underlying this time, came into the world. We saw that he came to save sinners. We saw that he came to save, that was the work to save, and now we see he came into the world to do this. Salvation is never merely an idea in God's mind. Salvation is the powerful act or work of God. And in order to save sinners, God did something. He sent his son into the world to save sinners. His son, Jesus Christ, came into the world to save sinners. And here's how he did that. First, he took upon himself a real, complete, weakened human nature consisting of body and soul, which is our flesh, in the incarnation. And in that human nature, he submits himself to the law of God. He makes himself responsible to obey the law of God for his people because his people whom he came to save were not able to keep that law, have not obeyed that law. In addition, he takes upon himself the punishment that that people deserved for breaking the law of God. And that's why throughout his life, he suffers misery, shame, and finally death in order to satisfy the justice of God against sin. And that first act of Christ, his lifelong suffering and especially now his death upon the cross, that first act of Christ removes the guilt of sin. Because there Jesus paid the penalty delivering his people from that guilt so that they do not have to pay and so that they are forgiven their sins. And that first act of Christ in his lifelong suffering and death on the cross also delivers us from the pollution and defilement of sin because by his blood we are washed from our sins. And having died upon the cross in the second place, he rises from the dead, having conquered sin and death for his people. He rises from the dead with eternal life, and he gives that eternal life to all those for whom he died. 
And by that cross and resurrection, therefore, he delivers us not only from the guilt of sin and the pollution and defilement of sin, but now also from the power and bondage of sin. Because he died and because he rose again, those who are in him and belong to him are delivered from the bondage of sin and are free to serve God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10, Paul speaks this way of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Salvation is also a gracious work of God. Paul underlines that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. God's grace is God's favor. His favor that he shows to guilty sinners. Something that they do not deserve. And we cannot say therefore to God, you must save me. I am entitled to your salvation. We can't say that to God because we're not entitled to anything from him. Rather, his salvation of us is entirely gracious. It is the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve death and damnation, and God gives us salvation. And Paul describes his own salvation this way, by describing how unworthy he was. And then he says in verse 13, But I obtained mercy. Here I was, a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, an ignorant unbeliever, but I obtained mercy. And then verse 14 he says, and the grace of God was exceeding abundant. And then in verse 16 he says, that Christ might show forth all long-suffering. That's the reason for the salvation of Paul. Mercy, grace, long-suffering. Not Paul's worth, not Paul's merits, not Paul's works, not Paul's will, but the power of God shown in mercy, grace, and long-suffering. So far, we've spoken of salvation largely in negative terms. We've said that salvation saves us from sin. And that's true. And that really is the focus of the Bible. We're saved from sin. But there's also a positive goal in salvation. Why does God save us from sin? God saves us from sin in order to bring us out of sin into the greatest possible blessedness, which is eternal life. And eternal life is to know God and to live with God. And why does God give us this eternal life? In order to glorify himself. That, of course, is God's goal in all things. But for us to enjoy eternal life, we must first be saved from sin. You can't have eternal life and sin 
Sin must be removed. It is removed by the power of God, by the work of Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when all of that salvation is completed, then we will be entirely delivered from sin. From the guilt of sin, from the pollution of sin, from the power of sin, and even from the presence of sin. Because as we sit here this evening as believers, we already have been forgiven our sins. And so the guilt of sin has been removed from us. And we have already been washed from our sins. And we already have victory over our sins in the sense that sin no longer rules in us and controls us, but we still have to struggle with the presence of sin. We all know that as believers, we have this struggle in our hearts, as Paul did in Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We have this struggle with sin. But God will not leave us in that state or in that condition. God's plan of salvation stretches forth even into the endless ages of eternity future. And therefore, we will receive all of our salvation in the future at two distinct points in the future. First, we receive all of our salvation at the point of death. At the point of death for the believer, our souls will be purified and we will enter immediately into the presence of God in heaven. And then we will have the fullness of our salvation. We will have the fullness of our salvation in the soul without even the presence of sin. And the second future saving work of God will be at the last day when Jesus Christ returns and then we who have died and have been buried in the earth will rise with new or renewed resurrection bodies in which we will be delivered then not only from the presence of sin in our souls, but also the presence of sin in our bodies. And then we will have the fullness of our salvation. Then we can say, truly at that point, we have been delivered from the greatest possible misery, which was sin, in all its forms, guilt, pollution, power, and presence. And we've been brought into the greatest possible blessedness, which is eternal life, which is to live with God in Jesus Christ forever. And then we will sing. We'll sing the words, of Revelation 7 verse 10. Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And we'll sing the words of Revelation 19 verse 6. Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And all those 
And only those who believe in Jesus Christ will be among that number. And all those who do not believe in Jesus Christ will be excluded from that number. So the call comes to all here, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and found among the number of the saved on the last day, delivered from guilt and pollution and power and the presence of sin. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.